Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. You're listening to the Diverse Tech Founders podcast, the show that brings you the one thing older than capital, people just like you and me. And I'm your host, Abraham J. Williamson. Thank you for listening. Hey, D-Tech family. We have a great show in store for you all today. Uh, If you're like me and you're super passionate about the way women have been trailblazing in the startup space, especially black women, this is the episode for you. Abraham and I are sitting down with our good friend, Monica Williams, who is the founder of RedDrop.co, a startup out of Atlanta, Georgia. And we actually met Monica about four months back at a Zoom happy hour with other startup founders and investors and folks just interested in the space. And we wanted to circle back and see how she's doing since then. In this episode, Monica tells us everything we need to know about her journey with Red Drop and what it's like to be a mother, a businesswoman, and a founder. One of my favorite aspects of the show is Monica talks about being a trained physician and how that inspires her work. We can't wait for you to hear what's in store. So without further ado, here's the show. Okay, Monica, where did you grow up? Um, I was born actually in Nashville, Tennessee. My parents both went to Tennessee State University, and I was born there and then uh, moved with my mom. My mom's family is from Danville, and Danville, Illinois. And so I was raised there. I went to um, elementary, middle school, and two years of high school there. And I went to um, boarding school in New Jersey. And then I went to grad to um, undergrad in D.C. at Howard University, and I went to grad school in West Virginia at um, Marshall University, and then I went to medical school in Nashville, Tennessee. Wow! So yeah. when so when Bria asked where you grew up, I'm guessing you grew up in all those places, yeah? Yeah, in different ways, it's true. So I would say that. Um, Fundamentally, I'm from Illinois, and the thing I can say was really cool about there is um, my uh, in t- my mom's family, her mom and her dad, and then my uh, my grandmother's extended family all lived on one street, and and it was um, I walked ba- basically like three blocks to elementary school, and the whole three blocks were family members on both sides. So in some ways it was really idyllic. So on the way home, I would stop at like Aunt Bertie's house and get graham crackers and watch Sesame Street for a while. Um, I would stop at my cousin's house. I would I stayed at my grandma's house more than I stayed at my own house. She lived next door, and it was you know it was just such a, a support net of love and caring. It's awesome. That's fantastic. Speaking about sort of your your Sesame Street upbringing, we want to talk about some of the skills you picked up. <laughs> Uh, tell us, tell us about the, the tech background that you had, uh, in in your relationship with technology today. Um, I have pretty much no tech background to be honest with you. My relationship with technology though, especially as a pandemic, so it's become more, um, I've become more embedded and it's more kind of um, complicated because it's difficult to really connect without technology now, like this call as an example. Um, But I do, with regards to what we're doing now, I recognize how, um, again, how embedded technology is and how that can be used in so many good ways. And we always hear about the bad ways, but in good ways to help, um, just the general public. So I don't know if they answered the question. Tech is not my forte. 
I think you answered the question perfectly because one thing about founders and one thing that I think Diverse Tech Founders wants to emphasize is you don't have to come with the, the tech savvy out the gate. Like it's something to acquire and there's much more to being a, f a founder than having like that technological aspect. And one thing that's really unique about you that I want to emphasize is that you are medically trained, like you have a, an MD. So I think that that's fabulous. And I think it kind of leads into my question, um, which is what is Red Drop and from where did this idea come? What inspired it? Who did you see the need for it? And what do you want to do with it? So Red Drop is here to really um, help educate and prepare young girls as they go through their first period experience. Right. And we hope to um, change feminine hygiene and generally by um, expanding upon that the education. Because the thing that's interesting about women is there's so much back to your technology question that's happened technologically. Like there's a Fitbit, you have an Apple Watch. Um, and all these different things that are, that are made just for society, but none of them are really made for women. And we, we have something that happens to us every month right. that changes us physiologically, emotionally, hormon hormonally, in so many ways. And so what we're hoping to do in the long, in the long term is take the data, back to technology, the data that we get as we um, grow with our customers from their first period all the way through menopause and create better products that really um, address women in a more full and more holistic capacity. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> that's that's a powerful thing. And I'll come out, uh, I guess, with the next question and ask really from somebody who doesn't have the same experience maybe with this industry or product. Uh, and is looking to learn more because even though, you know, I may not be a, a direct user, it doesn't mean that my relationship with the, the company is a null set. So I am curious to know what is Red Drop sort of technical solution that's making it distinct in the marketplace? What is sort of the pain point and the problems that Red Drop is able to alleviate for, as you mentioned, this this overlooked and, and critically essential uh, industry and problem? All right, so let me go back up because you asked me a question I didn't answer. So how did we get started? And so the way that we started, this kind of goes into how, what, what the problem is that we address and how we hope to address it. So the way that we got started was um, this is my third startup. I've exited one successfully prior to this. Um, my first one was a pacifier that I created for my child. And this was um, at this point 14 years ago, which is crazy to me. And um, it was Actually, it was really successful, but I've mentioned I'm trained as a physician, so I had no business skills. I had no e-commerce skills. Like, all of the things that I really needed to know to run that business successfully, I didn't know. And it was the beginning of the bubble burst. So... Um, it didn't work out, but in the, in the, in between the beginning and the end, there was a lot of success. And so, um, at the beginning, I got all of my family together in the house to pack. I had like, let's say I had 5,000 pieces I had to pack in a weekend, one weekend. And my play sister, and if you are of color, you know what that means, <laughs> um, came up to me and said, um, I have this idea for first periods. And so keep in mind, I was, I created pacifier. It was for my daughter. So that means my daughter was an infant. Now in my head, she was never going to have a period. It was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard of. And I was like, okay, cool. And like went back to packing my pacifiers. Right. So fast forward 10 years and she's growing little kitty titties. And I'm like, Oh, 
is going to have a period. This is crazy. <laughs> what am I going to do? Because I'm like, even though I'm a physician, I'll be completely honest with you. All that medical knowledge completely goes out the window when it comes to my family. So, I mean, I know, obviously, I know all the physiology behind periods and first periods. But how do I have this conversation with my child? Right. And in my head, I'm like, if I'm having this trouble, imagine people who don't. You know, maybe you were taught in sixth grade what your period is. You've learned how to deal with it. You experience it. But the, you have no basis of, of true knowledge on how to have this conversation with your kid. So I call the, um, my play sister's name is Dana. She's one of our co-founders now. I call her up and I'm like, hey, so let's talk about these period kids. And so her initial idea was to create what she was doing. She's a, a school teacher, still is a school administrator. And she created um, readiness kits. She would get makeup bags and put pads in there and just have them in her desk. So when the girls in her class would start their period, they knew where to go and they had some a discreet way to manage their period. She, she had very open conversations with them and um, had more conversations with her. And the reason she came up with it was because in her class, she's a fifth grade teacher. She had one, this particularly, the year she told me, which is at this point now, 14 years ago about, um, she had half of the students in her class start their period with her. And the range of preparedness was from, I have pads, my mom has talked to me about this, I'm good. Uh, maybe, you know, I just want to let you know what's happening. So if I don't return from the bathroom, you know it's an emergency. To, oh my God, I'm dying, what's happening to my body? Oh my goodness. Yes. Right. So she was like, it's not fair that anyone's child should have to go through this with, with just no understanding. Right. So it was, it became, initially it was just kind of like these, you know, maybe honestly, initially it was like, okay, maybe buy a bunch of always and, and get some personalized makeup kit, makeup bags and just sell these things, which, you know, I knew from the beginning from that was really the turnoff for me was that's not scalable mm -hmm. to this really becomes, this is really a bigger issue. And it's more about community and education around periods because as human beings, we, I, I'm guilty of this too. You want to push off the difficult talks. You want to push off things that are uncomfortable or right. unfamiliar. And if you can, if you can push it off to typically it's school and we talked to a thousand, literally we talked to a thousand moms and 99% of them said, I want to have the conversation first, but the, the ask the next question, 90% of them waited for them to have the talk at school. Right. And you layer on top of that the fact that only 26 of our 50 states require health education. So how many of those talks really are happening in schools led by educated people? And maybe they're just happening with friends and you're getting all kinds of misinformation. Maybe you're watching TikTok videos, all kinds of things, all sorts of ways to get information that's not coming from your mom inside the four walls of um, understanding and love and support that you would hope would happen. Exactly. And that's one of the things that Abraham said actually is like allowing girls to have a safe period. And I just kind of want to backtrack maybe a little bit and talk about how we met because I met you when you were talking about Red Drop. We were on a Zoom call with Alex Batdorf, who's also um, a feature in a D-Tech episode. And you yeah. were in a pitch competition in her yeah. accelerator program and you won. And yeah. one of the things that you said that was most remarkable is there are 30 feet of feminine sanitary products in a store and how much is allotted to girls and to young girls. And that was just so remarkable to me. And it really made me think every single time I walk down the aisle, 
what what would it have been like to be an 11 or 12 year old girl so it i just think this is revolutionary and it kind of oh and kudos to alex too yes and i i think this is like so important as a woman and like woman-centered design but also just thinking about like children and human-centered design i think this is so important and as a trained physician i think that you are really leading in biotech and so I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't say that. Um, and that leads me to my, my next question. As a mother, as a founder, as an inventor, as a businesswoman, what led you to talk about and work with your product when you have all these other things going on? Um, well, I mean, you just, Bri, you just said it. There's, there are literally 200,000 girls a month in the U.S. alone who start, who had their first period, who experienced their first period. So. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you. So thank you for subscribing. And now back to the show. How can you not do something like, do something with this space and with these, with these young girls that are coming up? So I mean, it's, it's, to me, it seems really obvious, and I'm really passionate about it. That's a good point. And if you're listening at this point, whether wherever you were on that spectrum that you discussed earlier, it's a huge problem, and it sounds like a pretty big market for a founder to tackle. Uh, what would you do if you got a million dollars in funding right now? How would you situate that that money uh, to, to continue to grow your company and business uh, yourself or however, if you, if you had that windfall, no questions asked, nobody telling you what you had to do with it, what would you do? I would really use those resources in two spaces. One, interestingly enough, is tech, because I do think that there's a space to build a tool that creates community and provides all of those key ingredients, information, community, advice, medical advice in one place. And then I, the other space is education, because again, only 26 of our states require health education. I think it would be really ideal to standardize feminine maturity and take sexuality out because again typically this is covered in sex ed and just because you are now able to have a baby doesn't mean that these girls are ready to have sex ready to to really mesh the two and so i think it's really important for our our mental hygiene and for our self-esteem to to really explain this in a way that says this is healthy this is normal and this is a positive thing that i'm about to go through i'm excited about it that makes sense. And in relation to the 26 states you've mentioned out of the 50, if you could kind of expand upon that in the process of the Red Drop Kit. So from the time that a young girl or a young girl with her guardian or friend or whoever goes onto the site, selects what they want to the time it arrives at their door, could you kind of walk our listeners through that process? Yep. So we've made it really simple. We have, um, and we're like I said, we're a startup. So we have no choice but to make it simple. We have a, a period kit. And honestly, right now, it's still in, we don't have product here. So we hope to be able to start selling product next month, mid-August. But in there is everything any girl would need for 30 days. So there's 30 of our, what we call our everyday pads. The thing that's great about those is that they're thin, they're super absorbent, they have odor control without fragrance, and they absorb as much as two tampons. And so the idea is that before a girl has her period, she starts to have discharge. And so if we can start the talk or the education process 
then um, she can start to wear an everyday pad literally every day, assuming that schools get started or you know, you're out and about. You eliminate all chance of having an embarrassing experience then after she starts a period the thing about periods and every woman may or may not i guess you may or may not remember this but it takes six to 12 months before your periods become quote-unquote regular and by regular what i mean is a grown woman can say i have a period every 28 days or 29 yeah like you get on a, a regular cycle that's anywhere between 25 and 35 days it's quote-unquote regular you have a period well a girl may have two periods one month no period for two months and a really heavy period a very light period it's your body has to the, her hormones are getting more regular so again with an everyday pad you don't have to try and guess there is no way to use one of our elaborate calendars that are on every smartphone right now it just takes all of the guesswork and all the embarrassment out so it comes with 30 of those it comes with 14 daytime pads, which you transition to once you actually start your period. And um, it gives you enough to change three times for that typical five-day um, period. And then we have 14 nighttime pads, which is usually too many. And the reason we put those in there is because we want mom to have an opportunity to um, experience these pads with her daughter. And so a nighttime pad is size-wise the closest to an adult size pad. And um, it has, but all of them have a lot of absorbency. They're all really, really sticky because these girls have PE or they're very active. They're not sitting at a desk like typical um, adult women and they have odor control without fragrance because typically younger girls are more sensitive so that all comes in there along with some things that we try to make it feel like a gift so there are stickers and there's jewelry there's little bracelets and then beyond that each month is themed with regards to um, an information pack so it's it's made for the daughter but it's also really useful for mom because something else we've learned that's interesting we as people in America generally learn about this sort of stuff in like middle school, sixth, seventh, eighth grade health class. And then beyond that, it's kind of, you, you figure it out, you live your life and then you try and get pregnant and you're like, Oh my God, what was ovulation? What is my, what's my cycle? What does that mean? What is, what does all this mean? And so it's, it's information that honestly is useful for everyone. And for you, Abraham, as a, as a dad, whether you're uh, we're talking to single dads. I know you're not any of those kinds of dads, but as a single dad or even a, in a nuclear home, relationships have changed between dads and, and daughters. If you go back two generations, dads didn't even go to the hospital with their with their wives to deliver the babies. They dropped them off and they left. They went and had a good time for a couple of days and picked her up. And now men wouldn't imagine not being there for the birth of their child. And subsequently, they have these really strong bonds with their daughters. And it they don't want it to change when their bodies start changing and maybe it gets a little weird. So we give them a vocabulary, just a basic way to have a conversation so that, again, we want to normalize female maturity. That is fantastic. Shout out to all the dads and dad figures out there who are listening. Uh, this yep. is, is not something to sort of sit on the sidelines for. In fact, you have a, a feature that we both love on your site, the the Men of Red Drop feature. If you go to Red Drop, you'll see this on the site. Can you tell us more about this part of that of that ecosystem that you're developing there and how, how men can get involved and support the women and the girls who are, are using the products uh, together, but also who are trying to educate more people on, on how to have this conversation? Well, so what you see on the site, actually, that's our, our founding team. And so the men of our job, 
we are female-led, but we're not all females. And so there's uh, myself and Dana and Ion. And then Mike and Jared and Trey are also featured on there. And they are essential parts of just honestly kind of level setting because this is, it's like I said, the world is changing and it's so important. It's been really eye-opening and heartwarming to see how involved they are. They, except for Jared, both of them have daughters and they are so involved in their daughter's life. And that was honestly what inspired them to join our team and, and to become so committed because we're a startup. So it means there's not a lot of, of, they're not there for the money. They are amazing. And in terms of them getting, of other dads getting involved in the men of Red Drop, it's actually, I, it's funny. I hadn't, we haven't really put anything in place to do that. I'd love for anyone who's interested just to email us at hello at reddrop.co. That's hello, H-E-L-L-O, at reddrop.co. Dot co dot not dot com. And we'd love just to hear what you have to say. And hopefully we can find a way for everyone to get involved that way. Well, you guys heard it. Hello at reddrop.co. And uh, you were speaking about the ecosystem you were creating with Reddrop. So the moms, the dads, the supporters, the family, just rallying behind the young girl in this experience. I wanted you to maybe talk about what it's like being in Atlanta at this time in their burgeoning startup scene and what you're seeing, what you're feeling, how you think you're going to navigate this space. So um, I'm not an Atlanta native, so I can't say I'm 100% in love with Atlanta. But what I will say is really cool about the Atlanta startup space, and to be completely honest, this is the only startup space that I know, so I can't compare it, is that there there's a really cool community, tech community, as well as a product-based community here that you can plug into. And so there are, well, it's it's a little different now with the pandemic, obviously, but prior to the pandemic, literally five day Monday through Friday, there were seminars, pitch practices, pitch competitions, lunch and learns that you could attend throughout any of the kind of co-working spaces. And there's a lot of co-working spaces here. So once you were plugged in, there were a lot of places that you could go. It was, I won't say it was easy to find advisors, but there were, it was, it wasn't super hard to find people who would, who were willing to support us from a avoiding pitfalls perspective, I would say it wasn't really easy to get funding. I think, and again, I don't know, I've not been in this, the startup scene in New York or LA, but I get the, get the impression that maybe it's a little easier to fundraise there. But just from a, from a working perspective, I didn't feel I was not alone. So I, I like that. Very cool. We're going to actually switch hats uh, if you will, for a second, because we, we like really, in fact, I'll pause on this because the last time that we spoke, this topic came up. I mean, we were talking about sort of generational wealth and legacy and artists and which artists we sort of looked up to, et cetera. So this question is, which artist sort of most inspires your work? And that could be from a technical side, but also could be from a philosophical standpoint and how you approach your work, how you approach people and how you've been able to be so successful in all the places you've been and all the careers that you've had. Oh, man. Uh, That's a tough one. Uh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Give me a second. Go on to the next one. Let me come back to that one. Okay, we'll keep that one kind of churning in your head. And and, then maybe we can just keep on the Atlanta startup scene just a little bit longer because you mentioned kind of the good things about it. If it could only keep one thing, though, 
what would that feature be in this ecosystem if you if you had to reproduce from scratch what's that one thing that you would want to keep so this is again i said i'm no i'm not atlanta native and i'm not honestly a super fan of atlanta i've lived here for a long time but this is i wouldn't say this is my favorite place but what i do love about atlanta and this is i I left this out of the original answer is that there are a lot of black startups and so as a founder of color, it is really nice to be to not be the only person in the room who, who has um, has melanin when you go to these lunch and learns and pitch practices and you know any of these events. Because like I said, there's a zillion events, and I I can't tell you I've been in any room here where I was the only woman, the only woman of color, the only person of color. None of those things, and that and so that is it's it's awesome. That's good. You strike me as. The type of person who not only goes for it, but makes, you know, sort of decisions, firm him up, uh, but it's open to change. And you mentioned that this isn't your first rodeo uh, in the startup game. Uh, do you think so far that there's been one pivot that you've experienced or initiated that you think saved your company? A watershed moment, if you will, where you came to this fork and you had to make a decision and you chose one side and it made all the difference. I would say in the two e-commerce companies that have been successful, it was really channels. So to, in both of these cases, I went into the, with the, I started the startup with the intention of selling to a certain channel or a certain way and learned that that was either going to be harder or, or inefficient and changed. And so as an example, the, the last company I did was a hair fiber company. It's called Dr. Fillin. And when we started, we, I sold basically door to door at barbershops. Come on now. <laughs> so, well, we, I did it because we, at that point, we really needed money. I started that company uh, by waiting tables. I didn't want to. I didn't want to try to raise money. The company before that I raised money it was an awful experience. I didn't want to raise money, and we wanted to keep it 100 percent in our. There were four founders of that one in our control, and I also felt like we just didn't have a real authenticity with the people who we thought were going to use the product the most. So I was really successful. I went to, I think I probably went to every barbershop in Atlanta, which is as a woman, a, a really lot. interesting experience, <laughs> right? <laughs> and we did great that way. But what I learned is that basically they buy something out of the trunk of your car. They're never going to buy it online. So pivoted to sell to an e-commerce um, ecosystem. And what we did was we, Basically, we took those same kind of barbershop conversations and feel where it's safe. Because our in that particular company, our true target market was um, an African-American man. We coined one specific um, keyword that was at that point unused and, and it was like gold for us. And we did a ton of content. So we were still in barbershops, but we didn't sell there. We took that content, we used it, digital marketing, and overnight our sales shut up probably 10,000% and stay and consistently every month increased because we had found a way to really tap into a market in a way that was scalable. So in, in this particular company, we have kind of two channels. One is schools and the other is direct consumer. And in this, in this particular environment, early on, we were actually really successful selling to schools. And now as schools are reopening and most are reopening virtually and, and they're all trying to figure it out, we've switched our energy from doing school outreach from a sales perspective to really um, focusing in on e-commerce, which was a little bit harder because the messaging is is is, is kind of all over the place. And we're still trying to build relationships with schools 
shout out to any school leaders out there. But we really are focusing on, on changing our channel approach to direct to consumer again. Well, Monica, it sounds like you truly are like a seasoned, well-versed, well-experienced businesswoman. I mean, from inventing your own son's pacifiers to working with barbers and barbershops in Atlanta. Like you really have seen it all. And I think our listeners have heard this question before, but I think it's time for the billion dollar question. And it really is a billion dollar question. Do you as a businesswoman want to run a billion dollar company? Why or why not? So yeah, it's a, that's actually a really great question because I would say that the, uh, well, yeah, the other two honestly were probably more lifestyle companies. And this is really, I feel like we have the opportunity to disrupt an entire market that is um, worldwide has a total market capacity of about $36 billion. So I do think that we have the potential to grow to well over a billion dollar company. And it's for me, the answer would be yes, for sure. Because I, as a woman of color and as a woman who is my, it's my third startup, it's twofold. One, I feel like I've got something to prove. I have a chip on my shoulder that. If you're enjoying the show so far, remember you can always enjoy the latest resources on our website at D hyphen tech dot F U N D. That's dtech.fun. Back to the show. I can really do it. And I'd like, I'm not going to stop until I do. And then two, just for the other girl, for the girls out there, for the little girl that lives with me in this house and for all the other little girls all around the world, I think it's time that someone really considered them and focused on them in this moment. And I, they deserve that. Absolutely. Speaking of chips on your shoulders, we love chips. We serve them at our app launch parties before the. <laughs> pandemic. Uh, and in fact, I think we also discussed this the last time that we spoke too, because you you gave me some pretty direct questions about my use of the term gathering. And we gathered people at the app launch parties, founders yeah, yeah. and aspiring angel investors, VCs, creatives, developers, et cetera, art in the room, et cetera. If you showed up and you asked a question at that app launch party or in the future, what's a question that you might ask a founder at our app launch parties? And if if you can think about it, what question, if you were asked, might stump you? What would I ask another founder? Um, you know, the, the question that I think is always really important for in a founder situation is who is your customer? Because it's, I feel like it's such a good question. It says so much about the founder and about what they're trying to build if they can answer that question succinctly. Because I think the entrepreneur in us and the overachiever in us feels like, I can serve, you know, everyone and I have like, this huge market. But I think that if you're able to focus in on that one person that keeps you up at night, on that one that one customer that you know really needs your help, you have the solution for. I think that really sets the, the groundwork for a true, I don't know what it is, what the word, the, the specific word is I'm looking for. But I think that that's, that's a huge and important question. And I'd say the question that stumps me is like kind of that bridging the gap question. And so I'm like, I'm sure everyone out there has read, there's some, it's a book, I think it's called Crossing the Chasm. And, you know, we're founders, we always think that we have like the best ideas and we're saving the world. And oftentimes it's, there's, it's enough to kind of like get you out, out into the middle of that gap, out into the middle of the chasm. And then, but it takes so much more infrastructure and planning and team and ability to really take, take it from there to a true billion dollar company, to a true solution, to a true company, not a startup. 
And so I think the, the question that stumps me sometimes is, how are you going to cross the chasm? Because I, I think it elucidates two things. A, do you know what the chasm is? And B, do you have a solution? I love that. And Monica, if I may, you were kind of trying to find the ant- the the name for what's that founder that thinks about that person every night that they're motivated, they're charged up. And to me, yep. you yep. are a change agent because I uh, I am so excited about Red Drop. I was so excited to do this today because I think this is revolutionary. And I think to have this on our podcast, we want to be on the right side of history. We want, we want to be the right side of biology. We want to be on the right side of all of this. And I just think it's really empowering. So I hope that you see that because that's what I see in you. And that leads me to my question, which is what is the most valuable thing Red Drop does for its community? I would say that the most valuable thing that Red Drop does for its community is we offer true and honest education on first periods. And that can be something as simple as what the the biology behind it to something as complex is as um, what does this mean? So that's a work in progress. So have we solved that problem? No, but I think that we are making, taking a good stab at it and we're, we're working towards it. Man, Monica, we uh, appreciate you so much for, for coming on with us today and, and allowing us to to really get inside a, a medical mind that has transformed oh, an industry yeah, with a business. Flattered. I know, I, I, I know we flatter too much. We flatter too much, but it's a good filler for us to flatter. But it's also true because as this interview has unfolded, I've, uh, like, like Bria said, not only become more educated myself, but also really been inspired. And I think uh, a number of founders have problems in their life or there's a situation that they're trying to solve. And it's more than just putting together a solution. You use the word community, team, a ton of times, right? Like talking to your customers. So these things are, are what's been making it, it such a good experience for us today. But we know that we can't keep you forever. But if people want to reach out to you moving forward, wh- where's the best place that they can find Red Job? And are there any updates on, on, your, on your go-to-market strategies? Yep, you can um, reach out to me directly. My email is monica at reddrop.co, M-O-N-I-C-A at reddrop.co. In terms of our going to market, we have product on the way and we will start fulfilling mid-August. So what would be awesome is if you're interested, please go to tryreddrop.com, T-R-Y-R-E-D-D-R-O-P.com and sign up for launch. It's like, I think at the top, there's a black box that says sign up to know more. And as products get closer, we'll offer the opportunity with deep discounts, hint, hint, (laughs) um, to, to buy them as we're ready to ship. So we're excited to get product to market and we're excited to really just get started with this mission. It's, it is all of our life's work. That's good. That's, that's really good and appreciate the the winks and the nods on the on the discounts because you know how much our community loves those. But make sure you use it and support it because this, this is what we say all the time too. Yes, buy the products. If you can't invest, invest. But tell somebody about it too. And Absolutely. so we want to continue to encourage people to share Red Drop. We want our community to be behind it. We want to champion it. We want to have some pride behind it. And that takes supporting you. So that's what we're going to continue to do. And we thank you for this time today. Is there anything else that you have for, for us or our listeners or anybody else uh, before we let you go. And the only thing I would add is I, I really appreciate your time with me today. This is actually my first interview with um, regards to this product. And I'm, I'm super thankful that you reached out. You all inspire me. I think that it's incredible what you're doing as young people. And I encourage 
everyone to listen more to this podcast and get involved and and share your voice and share your ideas because I think that the world will, is is so much a better place when we are all working together like this. Absolutely. We always say that the one thing older than money is people and we are the future. So like, please reach out, tell a friend. Thank you so much, Monica, for joining us today. I love what you're doing and we will talk soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Our pleasure. See you, Monica. Bye. Goodbye. Thanks for joining this week on Diverse Tech Founders with Abraham J. Williamson. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. You can do it right now. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Thanks again.